All right, quick announcement before we get to the podcast, but we're giving away a really sweet rifle setup. Right now through the end of October, if you go over to the Elk Hunt course and you sign up, you're going to be automatically entered to win a Weatherby Backcountry 2.0 in the 338 RPM. And not only the rifle, we're going to top that rifle with a Maven Optics RS1 rifle scope and Weatherby's going to hook you up with some ammo. This is a sweet Backcountry Elk rifle and the total package is over $4,000. So be sure to get your name in the October sweepstakes. And, you know, if you want to be a better elk hunter, this course is going to give you a few frameworks that I've learned over the years, and it's packed with some really, really great information. Go check out all the testimonials that people have taken it. They love it. And now's a great time to take the course because all of the mistakes that we made from this past season are fresh in our mind and we can say, oh, that's what I did wrong. So go check it out. It's the Elk Hunt uh, 201 course. Uh, it's, it links in the show notes. You can go to the Rich Outdoors page and go straight to there. But get your name in now to get entered into this $4,000 Weatherby Maven Optics package. This is a sweet gun. Go get signed up. Hi, right, Tony. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing, man? Good, good. It's it's summer and I'm about ready to go hunting, so things could be better. <laughs> I always live envious of you. I mean, like a lot of people don't know this, but you like are gone all hunting season. You've done this for years. Uh, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, but I love the fact that you still are able to like leave in August and then be gone all through hunting season, take the whole season off. So like, I mean, that's that's 90% of the people who listen to this podcast dream, right? Just to be able to go hunting. Mm-hmm eight tags, five tags, whatever it is in their pocket and go. So, uh, are you, are you going to be able to pull that off this year? Well, I I probably could, but, uh, (laughs) the way that the tags and the vouchers that I was able to draw and pick up worked out, I've got a big hole in the middle. So I'm actually probably going to come home in October. I've got, uh, two elk tags to start with archery elk. Uh, and that will start August 25th and, the second tag runs out the end of September. So even if I took the entire time, my last hunt uh, for elk ends in September. And then uh, my next tag doesn't start to November one. So I will be home for at least three weeks, maybe, maybe more. Heck, maybe if, if both those hunts go well, I could be home the first week of September and then just sitting on my thumbs for, for six weeks dying to get, get back out. <laughs> I don't think anyone feels sorry for you. I, I hate to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. Well, that's okay. awesome. I, I want to talk. I was going to talk a lot about elk, um, which uh, you know, like I mean, you kind of do it all. Like you, you've hunted uh, the plain stuff. You've killed giant mule deer with decoys. Like we've talked about that. Uh, you know, you're. I would say a big mule deer guy for a while. Like, do you figure you're an elk guy or a mule deer guy? What's your favorite? You just kind of love to tour all over and do it all. The last couple of years, the last two years, the focus has been elk, just because <laughs> of the tags that I had. Um, um, I mean, I shouldn't say that I've had one good elk tag each the last two years, but then I had a couple of just tags that I can draw a second choice for every year. And, but I killed like really big bulls on those. So it, the mule deer have taken a backseat, but I kind of think of myself as a deer guy. Like I'm not, I don't hunt elk, like elk hunters hunt elk. I hunt elk like deer. So it's not even really like I'm elk hunting. I'm just hunting big deer. <laughs> that's interesting is that more a product of the your the the hunting style you want or is that just like you know where you've been hunting because you've been hunting in nevada those are kind of like giant mule deer like let's call it spade a spade i mean they still rut they do all those things and you can hunt them in deep timber you know but like most people are hunting nevada bulls like 
you know, mule deer? Is that a product of how, just how you want to hunt or is the product of how it needs to be done for where you're hunting? Well, even, even the last two, uh, you know, I killed a bull in Montana last year and one in Colorado the year before on easy draw tags. And the only way I was able to get them was, you know, two. I mean, I couldn't jump in with them. They moved around too much and they just had too many cows. I had to, to you know, get back on another mountain and, and spot them and then move in. Uh, but it's, it's probably started because I, you know, I, I didn't start elk hunting with anyone that called. So, I mean, I had all the calls, I listened to all the tapes, you know, uh, or not tapes, but you know, like a Corey Jacobson, elk nut. You're aging yourself, Tony. I try to make the sounds. Listening to tapes. I make the sounds at home. My wife just looks at me like I'm crazy. I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but, um, I don't have any confidence with it. I mean, I can, I've, I've, I've gotten animals to re- reply and I've, I've called bulls in, but never, I've never called one in that I wanted to kill. And I think that as picky as I've gotten with them, uh, I'm, I'm better off having a better chance on my target bull with him not knowing I'm there. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think back to the last, the last two years and the four bulls that I've got, there was, there was really no situation like in the, in the scenario where I killed him, uh, Call, they were like calling wouldn't have worked. I mean, one situation it was 70 cows. I'm not pulling them away from 70 cows. Right. I had to wait, you know, and I was on that bull in Colorado, I think nine out of 10 or 10 out of 11 days. And that was only because I would literally spot him from another mountain two miles away and then move into that area, get close and just wait for something to happen. And on the ninth or 10th day, finally a little raghorn came right by me and he saw him and he just came right to that edge of the group, started raking a tree, cows moved off and I ran down and killed. I mean, that was, I, I waited, he had 70 cows. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do anything. He, I'm not going to call him away from those cows. Um, maybe get close enough and challenge him if you're good enough, but I'm not, I'm not Joel Turner. I'm not, my, yeah. my cow, bull calling cows sound is probably closer to a, a draft. You know, it's not going to be good. <laughs> Mike and, and, yeah. It's, I just, I think it's more productive. I never learned. Um, who knows? Maybe someday I'll go hunt with somebody who's a really good caller and I'll be like, why haven't I been doing this? This is way more fun. But uh, I think like the number of people you see that, you know, are targeting giant bulls, uh, usually like the number of callers goes down, right? Like it happens, like you can call them big bulls, but like, you know, guys like yourself who are like, oh, I, I want to find the biggest bull on the mountain, generally speaking, aren't calling. But I want to like back up and, and say like, okay, so a little bit of history, you big mule deer hunter, uh, kind of just started hunting elk while you were mule deer hunting or been like, Oh yeah, I'll go put a stock on this one. Right. Um, I think back to like some of your early Colorado, Colorado bulls where you killing bulls, like super high. Um, and so that was just, you know, kind of like, Oh, there's elk where I'm mule deer hunting. Let's hunt them. Uh, and mm-hmm. so like, that's kind of the product of what you've become as an elk hunter, but it's, it's kind of interesting to say like, okay, uh, what is like, when I think about a system, like you're like, okay, now you're targeting elk specifically. It's not just like, okay, I'm in the area and if there's elk there, I'll hunt them. It's okay. Now I'm going to look for elk. How does, how does your system for finding elk different from finding mule deer? Mm, that's not really all that much. I mean, occasionally, obviously you'll hear one that you can't see and you're just like, whoa, what are they doing right there? But uh, I'm approaching it pretty much the same way. I'm covering ground uh, from glassy knobs and, and using my eyes and my glass more than more than anything, you know, where, where someone else who calls might, you know, travel uh, you know, at night and bugle and listen, you know, and, and try to locate them that way. I mean, and I'll, I'll do that and just listen. Um, 
but again, I don't have much confidence in my calling. So, um, <laughs> so you're just covering ground, trying to find a, trying to find the elk you're looking at or want, want to take yeah. or do you have a chance at whatever you want to call it. Um, so you're like, I mean, it's just highest glassing knobs. Like we're just trying to find, find the elk first. And then once you find the elk, it's like, okay, yeah. we need to find a good one. Um, walk me through what happened. Uh, was it last year, year before, like you on a giant, uh, you were on him a number of days, but like kept, you know, he'd go missing or something along those lines. I, I remember you telling me the story, but I can't recall the details, but like, I want to walk through that story. And then how is it like, I want to get into like, how do you find an elk after you, he, after you lose him, which is the hard part. Uh, boy, that could, that, that scenario could be applied to just about every year. Um, but <laughs> le- last year, the, for sure, uh, the biggest bull I've ever hunted, uh, I found him before the season. Um, boy, he was just living in a perfect place. I mean, it was just like, this is going to be a piece of cake. Um, and then he just disappeared. And, you know, and I, and did I relocated. Did you watch him a number of days or like how many oh, days? Oh, yeah. Are... Yeah. And he wasn't going far. And then uh, as soon as the pressure, you know, as soon as the, all the hunters showed up, he just split. And I, and I randomly picked him up like about two miles away, heading, heading away in a hurry. And, uh got on him again by day three he was back in his spot basically and i i i had him dead to rights if if i'd have just pinpointed exactly which you know brush pile he was laying in because i i guessed the wrong one i was 200 yards away and by time he he stood up was moving to water didn't work uh you know the you know the the wind started swirling that right before dark and he got a whiff and was gone i don't think i saw him again for five days and then so in that five days, like, are you, what, what's your system again like, for, for you? Like five days, you just kind of like, he's got to be here. He came back here. Oh, yeah. Are you like uh next Ridge? I'm just all over. Like, are you so all day covering long, ground? Or are you looking at the same spot? Both. Like I'm starting in the spot that gives me the most advantage advantage over like where I think he's going to be. And then I just go from spot to spot, to spot, to spot. And I don't waste time. Like, you know, by the time the sun is just peeking over the horizon, I've already, scour this area i mean yeah. he's gonna be up you know down you know if it's hot if it's an august hunt he's gonna be up at daylight and if he's not well he, he ain't gonna do you any good to stay there any longer because he's not getting up as soon as that sun goes over the horizon right and then and then i go to the next spot and, and you this isn't like you know to compare like uh where i hunt in colorado to where i hunt you know in, in nevada it's completely different terrain and it's not nearly as strenuous to climb those mountains, but it's, there's a lot of folds in, in little spots. You have to get right up on top of them to see into them. And sometimes I think it's actually harder to, to spot them just because you can't, you know, you, you've got to cover, you got to go to more glassy knobs. You got to go to more little, you know, ridges where you can see into a, a small valley. Um, so it's a lot of moving around. It's a lot of, it's a lot of hike and it's a lot of, you know, jump on the quad, go four miles down the road and then hike up to another another point and just try to turn them up and hope that you can catch them, you know, getting up and shifting in his bed or because I mean, they, they don't like that heat and, mm-hmm. you know, probably this end of the last or the end of the first week in September, they're not even thinking about the cows. So it's, they're just, just feeding and staying cool. So, so, you, so you had this bull, you basically lose him. You, you, he comes back to the same spot you put a stock in and you bump him again. So he goes missing and then, oh, then yeah. what happened? Repeat, repeat, repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a chance on the, the, on the third, the eighth, the 12th day. Uh, and it's just like one thing after another, 
and one and a couple of them were just stupid. Like it was on my part. Like I, I mean, I had embedded. I was, I mean, I couldn't see him. I was going to have to get stupid tight to him to be like inside of thirty yards to see him. And I was just too stubborn to to, to back off. And it was there was no wind, and it was just dead calm. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that I just I you know I stepped on the wrong rock and it made a little grinding sound. And I, I watched him run for three miles. So uh, and then did I didn't your heart just sink? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's pretty much. I should have been called the name. The name of my film last year was "My Heart Is on the Ground and I'm and I Want to Die." <laughs> and I don't, I didn't see him after that. I think until the the second to last day of the season. And I was actually moving in on another bull. I mean, another great bull. I'd kind of been keeping in my back pocket because I hadn't seen anybody else hunt him. But at that point, you know, with two days left, I'm like, I'm going to make a move on him. He's I mean, he's really big, um, just not as big as the other one. And I got to probably 400 yards from him and his cows, and he was sleeping in the same spot every day. And lo and behold, one of the – there was three outfitters – well, two outfitters. One had two clients, but, like, three groups uh, that were hunting in the same area. And one of the, one of that groups was moving in on him. So I just basically bought, sat there till almost dark watching them screw it up, thinking, well, maybe he'll run over here. Um, they were a mile away or so. And uh, it didn't work out well for them. The, the, that bull lived. And I literally was, like, packing up my stuff maybe had 20 minutes of daylight left and I've got, you know, three quarters of a mile to walk back to my, my rig. And, and all of a sudden I just hear this nasty, nasty bugle. Like, I mean, the kind we all treat like a dragon, like, Whoa, I haven't heard that one before. Um, and I, well, actually, I take that back. I had heard it before, but that actually that morning, uh, in the dark and I, and I didn't, and this was about a mile and a half, two miles away. I heard it in the dark. I'm sure it's the same. Well, just cause that's distinctive sound, but I never saw him. And I never got to put who it was. Well, it was the big one. And he was coming back in the field from a direction. He, I had never seen him come into this meadow from that direction. And I think he was just living in one of those little folds. And and, and he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't going far in daylight. So, but I was out in literally like where he was going to spend the night eating. I was, and I was, you know, in knee high grass laying on my belly. So I just dropped when I, when I uh, picked up the elk coming into the field and he just came in ripping them. And I was like, the only chance I got is hopefully, you know, I, so I actually called, I made some cow calls and he came right up to me. He was 140 yards right out in front of me. And then he just kind of just said, I think I'll just screw it around the downwind side. And that was it. And he, he got a whiff of me and again, and yeah. <laughs> I never saw him. So what, um, what was your biggest takeaway from last year or maybe even the last hmm. two years about big bull behavior? Hmm. They're not really that much smarter. They just, I think they just, I think they just, I think they get old because of their, their product of where they just ended up living. Um, you know, it's like, that was where he just decided to live. And yeah. because of that, like, well, people look left and I live right of this glassy knob. It's really thick. Maybe, or maybe they're just, they're just lazy and they like me, they hate the sun. So they stay in a, in a, in the shade more often and they wait till the very last second to come out. Um, you know, until it's time to rut the cows. And um, I think sometimes when they get stupid big like that, the ones that I'm seeing, like the one, well, the one I killed last year, my number, I call him my number two bull, but uh, score-wise, he'd probably been four or five down the list, but he was really cool, had all kinds of character, and was just gnarly old animal. He didn't even bother scratching all the velvet off his antlers. He was five miles from the nearest cow he just and this was when I killed when I killed him the last day of the season like middle of September he didn't he didn't give a shit he was 
he was living in the a wet this is Nevada wet area with just lush lush um plants I mean it's just gorgeous uh, he was happy to stay in the shade and have flowers every, you know all day long for food <laughs> and like, he didn't care um I think that I, I and, and there's there's obviously exceptions but I think that you know obviously they're most of them are going to come from a unit that has less tags less pressure and it, it just got overlooked they're in spots where people aren't looking I a hundred thousand percent agree with you. And you know, the more big bulls I'm around, the more I believe this, it's a product of their habit or habits. And literally like, you know, it's just the, you know, the type of bull, like who's unpredictable, he just bounces around or does something or just where he lives. Like you said, like is more often. And I think we assume like you see a giant, you're like, Oh, he's so smart. I got to do something. I got to be I got to be extra smart. And I think we screw it up by trying to be extra smart oh, yeah. and outsmart him. Right. And you're like, no, it's just an elk. And yeah. you know, he'll die just the same as the rest of them. And it's just a matter of like the thing, the reason they got old was either a pro like a product of where they lived as in like, they just happen to be next to this private that no one can hunt or whatever. And that's where he likes to hang mm -hmm. out or, you know, it just, he doesn't care about cows. Like I think there's a lot of old bulls that just don't have that desire to chase cows uh, yeah. or not in the daylight. And then that makes them old. And it's not like they're smart. It was just like, yeah, they just don't really care. They don't want to run mm -hmm. a harem all the time. And yeah. so they just live off on their own. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, there, there are big ones that, that run those harems once in a while, but, uh, yeah, the, I'm, yeah, who knows? I never, I never did really see that big one I was chasing last year. Um, he was bugling, he was acting like, you know, he was interested in cows, but when I saw him that second to last day, which, you know, middle of September, there wasn't any cows anywhere near. Yeah. But that morning when I, where I heard him, which was, like I said, like a mile and a half away or maybe two miles, uh, there were cows there, but he was getting out at before daylight. If, if indeed that was him, it sounded, I mean, sometimes you just hear that one bugle. It's like, Oh my God. Yeah. And, and you hear it twice in the same day, once before daylight and then once right before dark. And it's like, uh, I think that's the same animal. I'm pretty sure it was him. And he was, he was getting out of there before, before daylight hit. Yeah. I think that's very common. Um, I know hindsight's 2020 and it's always like, man, that's every situation I would have done this differently, but was there anything that stands out to you of like, man, I shouldn't, have, I should have done less of this or more of this from, you know, your last se last two seasons. Uh, well, everything kind of worked out except for, you know, the, you know, I didn't get my number one bull in Nevada. And I think that in the beginning of the, the hunt, I was probably not aggressive enough. And at the end of the hunt, I was too aggressive. Uh, after you screw up once or twice, and, and I didn't really screw up, whatever. I was I was in position. It was still half hour, 40 minutes of, of light left and the wind just swirled and he smelled me. Um, mm -hmm. He was walking right in my direction. And if the wind thermal or, you know, if everything would have stayed the same with the wind, in which it had been all day long, he would have been dead, but so I don't think it really messed up, but still in your heart, you're like, that was my chance. And, and then I started to get a little more aggressive. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm 60 yards from in that, in that brush and I push it, push it, push it instead of staying back and just waiting for him to walk out from behind it and shooting him. Yeah. I keep pushing and I'm, you know, and then I step on a rock and he blows out and runs, you know, so I guess no one, man, you get so ton I get so tunnel vision in, in those moments where it's like, this is what I have to do. You know, I had to, you know, whether it's 
I have to hunker down here. I can't move. I'm pinned down or I have to move in. I have no shot here. I think it is the ability at that moment when it's happening to, and and, and, it, and, it, and that stuff has served me well over the years. Like my instincts have served me very, very well. And I've cashed in on most opportunities, but when they don't, boy, you do, you do second guess everything. And, and it makes you think, well, I, that at that moment to be able to consciously problem solve and, and take the smart route. Uh, I really hope I can do that better this year. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that. I feel that one. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's a crazy how, you know, 20, 30 years into it, you can still be making, I wouldn't say making the wrong decisions, but like you're, it's like the pendulum of decisions. Like you, you go aggressive and you go passive, you go aggressive and you go passive and you're like, just, you're always fine tuning it. And every situation is different. Um, but yeah, I, you know, last year I had an absolute giant that I should have been a little more aggressive with. And, and I think it was like in, in hindsight, both in the, in the stock opportunity that I did get and in like the following days where I was still on that bull, I should have been more aggressive, but I was like, I felt like I was, you know, Oh, this is a giant. I got to play it right. You know? And it's like, in Mm -hmm. retrospect, it's an elk, like it's an elk and I need to treat it like an elk. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, that's one thing I hope for this year is like, I don't want to and it's always going to be this way. You're always going to have the pendulum of push harder, uh, be patient, push harder, be patient. And like, I don't know that you ever fine tune that perfectly, but it's like, yeah. you know, if that's it, this year, you know, you'll, you'll have one year where you make this mistake and the next year, like I'm going the other way <laughs> goes yep. back and forth. Do you feel like you've honed that skill? And if so, please tell me so I can yeah, right. own it as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think I'm going into this season shooting the best I ever have. Um, I feel super confident with my shooting. Um, I, you know, there's, everything's like, I don't know. I don't have any, like, I have no, no excuses this year. Like it's, I, you know, and every year I, I learn these areas better. Um, I know there's guys out there that just want to hunt. You know, I, I heard Mark Livesey talking about, you know, he hates hunting the same spot twice. It's like, man, I love hunting the same spot twice or four times or six times. You know, it's like, I know where those animals are going to be, or at least I have a real good idea. And I, uh, I, I've got no excuses this year. It's time to kill a really big bull. Do you feel like you have more confidence this year? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. How does one, like, how do you, how do you gain that? Um, how do you gain confidence? Like, how do you, and like, I'll think from my perspective, uh, and I haven't really talked about this a lot, but I do think like, I, I, so I watch a lot of motocross um, and recently I've been thinking about this concept of like gaining your confidence. So in, in the motocross, it's an individual sport and it's, it's a mental game as much as a physical. And it's like, man, if a guy is off on his mental game, like he, it just shows up in, in the race. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, you know, for me, it's like, man, I need to like, I feel like the last two years to kick my ass. I just need to like knock out some wins, like just get some wins and then, you know, mm-hmm. get the confidence back a little bit. And like, honestly, I don't feel like I'm not confident. You know, I just feel like I, maybe there's like some doubt, but I honestly don't think there is, but I do know that like, man, maybe it's a mental game. Maybe it's mostly mental and you just got to get back in the game. And I think shooting is a great one. I think having supreme confidence in your shooting is a great way to go into season. I mean, like I'm going to crush it this year. But I think mm-hmm. there's only so much mental talk of looking in the mirror and saying you're going to be successful every year that, you know, you can get away with before like, you know, reality has got to come to the situation. And you're like, you gotta, you gotta make it happen. How do you, how, what advice do you have for people 
to gain confidence to to you know come out and have the confidence actually going into the season fail a lot uh <laughs> i got that I part mean, now yeah so like but like so i think maybe like my hunts last year were probably the like the perfect example like just get your teeth kicked in for 20 days straight and then and then pull it off the last minute um it's like because you're you, you go through the extremes like you're i mean i mean if you've watched my film from this past year and it, it's like i'm 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 in the dumps the last five or six days and i'm kind of like well it's probably not going to happen you know i have to come to the fact that you know i i might be going home without an elk and i'm supposed to be filming this to kill an elk and i mean there's multiple failures stacking up on top of each other and, and then you pull it off on the last afternoon of the last day and it's like and it, you know just re- reminds you like eh, the last days as long as the first day and it, it doesn't they're, they're no different and you got to give it your all every day and just keep going um i think that you know the more selective you get you know, uh, you know, like when I was more bloodthirsty, when I was just like, you know, kill kill a branch antler bull, any any one, um, I'd I'd have been more disappointed if if I went home without anything. But now it's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to an area where there's I don't know, fifteen hundred elk in this in this you know, twenty square mile or fifty square mile. I'm, I'm just guessing, but and there's probably four or five bulls in there that I want to kill, and so you got to be realistic. You know, that's. It's not going to be easy. Um, and it, it, I'm going to do everything I can to eliminate mistakes for myself. I'm going to do everything I can to put the odds in my favor. But in the end, you know, they're a wild animal and right. I'm a stinky human. With, with You know, I can't, my eye, my vision's going. I can't hear anything anymore. I, I hate being <laughs> in the sun. So I'm always hiding underneath a tree. I mean, yeah. there's, there's only so much I can do. So, yeah, I think that. But the failures, you have to go out there and fail a lot. I mean, the guy who, you know, grows up with a dad that just puts him in great spots, you know, ranch hunts where you're just killing it and killing it and killing it, that you're setting yourself up for someday, unless you can just keep hunting that way, whatever. But, um, man, you, you, I think, I think failing helps a lot. I think that's, I think that's a big key is being able I think to, you fail. Need to fail like, yeah, and then, real. then pull off the success though. Yeah. Because if you just fail, 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 like I still feel yeah. like you're like, man, I suck. Like I'm yeah. not going to win. You need to have that taste of victory to know it's possible, but you need right. to have your teeth kicked in beforehand. That's a good point. That was a good point. Um, but I do think it's, it's massive. And when you've never tasted the, like the last day of success, you've never been on that hunt where it's like five days of just like, Oh, this is, this is, this is it. We're done. And then all of a sudden it comes together it's hard to have the faith in that. And I think that is massive. Like you, I know enough guys that have been on those hunts and like, you just, it's easy to say like, Oh, you know, it might happen the last day. Like until you've actually experienced that, you're like, man, it just takes a second. Like, like oh, yeah. it's hard to have the belief in that without being a part of that. And, but once you are a part of it, you're like, okay, like anything can happen. Like it's all like, yeah. it'll happen. Just keep, you know. Yeah. And I, I like to say, I did this podcast recently on um, my Patreon side, let's talk about inputs versus outputs. And I think it's a great uh, perspective of like, you just know if you're going to put in the right inputs, the output will come, right? Like, and so instead of focusing on like, I need to kill this elk, I need to kill this elk, 
focusing on the inputs is, you know, focusing yep. on your shooting all year long, like your shooting style, right? And then I focus on the inputs. I'm going to cover the ground. I'm going to be in the right spots. Uh, I'm going to yep. make the right uh, stocks. And if I make the right stock, yeah, it might get blown. But if I make the right stock enough times, it's going to pan out. And so it's like, I just okay. focus on if I do all the right inputs, the out- output should take care of itself instead yep. of always trying to out trick the output. And like, oh, I got to, you know, do this crazy thing or this one thing or it's like, if you just focus on trying to make luck happen or the output happen, like you almost, it's, it can elude you forever. But if you just focus on yeah. doing the right inputs, you eventually get the output. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, the last five, six days of my hunt last year, I wasn't confident it was going to happen. I just knew I needed, the only way it's going to happen is if I just keep approaching it the same way every day and trying to figure out the best line of attack with the current situation and just keep your head down and keep going. I mean, I was, in the dumps, but I knew what I had to, you know, it's not going to happen if I just sit at camp and cry. So <laughs> I got my butt out there and just kept doing it. And finally it happened. So when we talk about inputs, I want to talk about kind of your system. And we talked to you know, your mule deer hunter. And a couple of times you've actually made mention of like getting on the other mountain and looking, which is such a mule deer guy thing, uh, you know, looking from miles away and being like, you know, I got to see what's going on. What is like your day-to-day system? Uh, like from like, how do you, let's just say you're starting at zero. You don't have an elk, he's gone. Uh, or maybe you're looking for him, but like, you know, what is your, your system? Are you like system for, I want to say system for finding elk. We'll separate that mm-hmm. into category one and then system for yeah. getting close to elk. Uh, but like, what's your day-to-day system? What's the day look like? Uh, so unlike most guys are probably going to try to, you know, locate him in the dark and then get close. Um, I'm going to locate them. I'm, well, I'm most likely I'm not going to, I'm not probably not going to be hearing a bugle. Maybe I will, but I'm going to start out on a glassy nut and my day will start with no chance of killing an elk in the morning at daylight. Like literally I'll give up my morning to be on a, a perch where I can locate them, see where he beds and hopefully guarantee myself an afternoon or evening opportunity because I know where he's at. Whereas if I'm in the mix with them, if I'm in the timber, if I'm in the PJs with them and I can hear him and then he just disappears while I'm down here with him, I have no idea where he's at. They could be a mile away. They could, they could have circled around and went mile the other direction. But if I'm up on that knob and I give up my morning hunt to, to know where they're going to, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to be able to pinpoint him, but I'm going to know where the last group of trees I saw him at, whatever. I've got, I've got a much better chance of being on him in the afternoon or an evening by not being in in the thick shit with them in the morning. Okay, so, so let's let's let, let's role play it a little bit and say like, okay, you're like, mm-hmm. I have no idea where to go. I'm gonna go across the highway. We're gonna get up on that ridge, and we're gonna like get the the big spotters out, and we're just gonna look at this mountain. And then that morning, you catch a glimpse of a herd. You can't even tell how big the bull is, but it's like, okay, there's a glimpse of a herd with a bull. They went around this yep. bend, but I don't know where they are. Yep. What's your game plan? Go up, go up there and get another vantage point where I can see into where they disappeared to. So just get a little bit closer and then wait till evening or are you just going to try to be further away? Uh, it might even be further away. Just a different angle to see into where they went. You know, that spot isn't always closer. So, but getting a different angle if they disappear out of my view and then, so yeah, I might have to go to two nods or even three, three points to, to like, okay, there they are. There's two cows there underneath that tree. He's got to be with them. Now I move in. So I mean, so you're basically spending the rest of the day looking for that herd. Yeah. Yeah. If if, if I know my targets in there, I mean, if, if I didn't see him and I don't know for sure, uh, I might just keep looking, but, um, then it's just, you got to trust your gut if if you don't get to see all the animals, but, 
Um, but no, it's it's a matter of putting the yeah, my, a lot of walking, a lot of a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, uh, and it's just you know I'm I'm not trying to bring them to me with calls. I'm trying to move into to an ambush or a, a cutoff situation, uh, or, or maybe you know I've killed them in their beds too. But um, it's all about it's all about knowing where they're at. And so when we get into like okay, that's getting close. So it's like all right, basically your system is like glass. It's the classic glass, get as far away as I need to be, and glass. Mm-hmm try every angle to glass, never get close. Um, but then like, okay, once you have them pinpointed, are you the type that watches them until they make a mistake or are you watching to see the pattern or are you going to try to get close the first evening? Like, you know, are you, how much watching close. versus trying to get close? Yeah. I'm going to, I'll, I'll push it as far as I can that way. I will get, if, if he find out where he's bedded and there's, if he's alone or just a couple, couple bulls or, or maybe he's just got a couple cows and there's, there's a good win. And I, I mean, I'll get as close as I can without spooking him, any one of them. And then just wait to see what happens. Some, if it's, if it's within range, great. Well, he's going to die when he stands up, unless something gets up and circles around me or the wind changes, but you got to obviously put the wind in perspective when you're moving in. And then what's it going to do if he waits there all day, is it going to, is it going to switch with thermals? Is it going to, you know, is there, a, you know, at four o'clock every day when the four o'clock, gusts come in and does it does it tend to swirl more you know so you got to think about that stuff but i get as close as i can and then just let things happen um sometimes that means i can only get to 150 200 yards from the closest cow even like like that colorado bull from two years ago i mean i nine out of ten days i i found him from that far ridge way you know nowhere near there was a road in between us Uh, i mean it was it was a long ways away and finally he, he messed up and came around that side of the herd. Uh, How close is like too close? Um, you know, obviously everything, there's so many variables here, but like generally speaking, if you located a herd in the morning, you watched them, you're like, okay, let's just get close and see what happens. Uh, how are you like, man, I'm within 200. I think I don't want to be closer than that. Cause if the wind switches at all, we're screwed or like, what's, what's your line? Yeah. 500, 200. I think they're still going to, they're still going to smell you. Uh, you know, most of the time, most of my uh, stories about getting close to elk end in failure. Like most of the time they're like, they're, they don't work, you know, I can like it worked that. 10% of the time in Colorado two years ago. I mean, that, that, that I don't have a good record of it. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the right guy to answer that because I <laughs> failed so often. The, uh, I probably get too close way too often. Like out of those nine or 10 days that I've worked in on that bowl, I bet you, half of them I got right amongst the cows like there's cows like I don't know how they don't smell me and you know they're to my left they're too right straight ahead they're quartering to my right like the only ones that aren't are right over here where the wind's going and eventually you know something does happen and then they kind of like what's that and they just get up and they maybe they don't spook but um but then again I was trying to get inside because I don't know where he's at you know it's quickie group of trees that's like i so i often push it too far and blow it up and then try again the next day uh, I, I think that it's much 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 easier to kill a buck or a bull doesn't matter if they don't have does or cows i mean uh, a single animal is so much easier to kill um and i'll and then you want to talk about smarts I, i'd say t- i'll take any cow you know if there's a spelling bee t- contest for elk the old cow is going to win and beat every bull in the group. Like, like it's not, I mean, they're so much more on edge and smart than the bulls. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I have that dialed in yet. You know, I just get as close as I can and try to make something happen. But if I didn't push it as almost to failure, I, I don't, I, I'd be left with, and don't get me wrong, it, ha- it works out a lot of the time, but uh, I feel like my personality, if I didn't fail often on those type of situations, I would, at the end of the night, I'd be like, I could have done more. Mm. I should have done this. Interesting. So, yeah. And that, like, um, I, I I definitely resonate with the like, okay, maybe I'm pushing it too far or pushing it too close. I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Like for me, it's always like get close enough that if, if something materializes, you're in striking distance, but far enough yeah. that if it gets swirly, which it's going to, it's going to swirl, uh, throughout yeah. the day, I'm, you know, at least out of the way. And usually like people will say that's a terrain feature. So it's like either across the drainage, uh, or you're over a ridge or like, you know, something along something's going to break up that a terrain feature is great. Cause like, there's a lot of differences in 200 and 500 yards, like a 500 yards, uh, you know, can your wind could go right at them and they could smell you. 500 yards could be like, you know, that doesn't affect if, you know, if you're on the other side of a ridge or something along those lines. So it's like, there's a lot of variations in that. Uh, I always just try to get close enough that it's like, if something, and this happens, this is the fine line though. It's like, you'll move in and you're like, oh, if I was right there where I wanted to be right now, this would have worked out. Cause he just got up and he went and did the thing, yeah. you know, and he's like, he's up right now. And you're like, oh, should have been a little bit closer, but like, you have to be striking distance. If you're on the ridge, you know, a mile away even. And, you know, all of a sudden you watch him in the spotting scope, get up and start checking cows. Like, I wish I was there. But by the time you get there, that that has passed, you know, <laughs> like that situation yeah. has come and gone. So you got to be close enough that you're like, oh, he's up. Like, let's just sneak in and see if we can. The problem is, is like, if you get too close and you're like, just basically laying in the, in the wind for five hours, like you're not, you're asking for trouble. So, so it's like, eh, you know, whatever it is. Do you have a favorite time of day? Like when is like, you're like, oh, this, this, it feels like the lucky time of day. Well, I'm a morning person naturally. Like I get up like crazy early every day and, um, the guys at work, uh, call me two o'clock Tony because, uh, by about two o'clock, I'm, my production goes down and I'm still twice as fast as them, but it's, uh, it's definitely not what it, <laughs> what it is in the morning. And I always find something in the office to go do. It seems like about two or three o'clock. And, uh, so I'm, I'm not really an afternoon guy. So the fact that I kill most of my animals in the afternoon because I located them in the morning, it's kind of ironic because I am like ready to go on like on point in the morning. And like by the time I get up to wherever I'm going to be glassing from before dark and I'm setting stuff up, I'm like, it's on. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still a mile and a half away from him. It's not on. <laughs> like I got a, <laughs> I got a lot of work to do to get before I can get into position, but you know, whatever. I don't, you know, I, I seem to keep my edge uh, in the afternoon when I'm hunting a little better than I do at work, but, but so I love mornings, but it does seem to, the, my style with elk and deer, I, I do tend to kill more stuff somewhere between late morning and dark. And like, you're not like a, I'm going to wait till the evening. Like to me is like, no, seem, no. It, it varies every day, but like the four o'clock magic is a thing. Like, you know, bulls get up and they start checking, but the cows aren't really moving yet. I like that time period. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, winds pick up, like, you know, all that stuff. Uh, in a lot of places, like, you know, if you're getting those afternoon thunderstorms, like those can be great. Cause mm-hmm. the wind gets real consistent, you know, you're like, Oh, yep. this is the time. So like, yeah, I feel like the last couple of years, like that's been great, but I would say also I wouldn't bypass, like I've had some great opportunities in the mornings, you know, 
just by happenstance. And a lot of those never like the first day I spot the elk, it's like, you know, maybe like you had mentioned, you get back, you spot these elk, you know, them in the morning, but like day three, you're like, man, this is where they're going. I can cut them off. And like the cutoff opportunities always happen, you know, yeah. an hour after daylight. And that's, you know, mid season stuff, not early, early season. Cause they're, yeah. Yeah, but it, it just varies so wildly between like the time of year you're hunting them. I think terrain too, for me, uh, if, so most of the areas I'm hunting are fairly open. Um, and I picked that on purpose. All the areas that I've, you know, last, uh, there's not many bulls I've killed in thick, thick timber. Most everything has been in the open and it, I pick areas to hunt on purpose because if I, if I do glass them up in the morning and they move into this giant mile long, thick timber section, like, Oh, I don't know where, I don't know where they're at in there. Right. Um, my advantage just disappeared. So, mm-hmm. and in that case, I am probably, I mean, if that had happened, you know, if that happens to me, then I'm going to be setting up somewhere in you know, with the wind in my favor, close to where they disappeared in that timber and hope for the, you know, an evening, you know, a chance to ambush them when they come out. But that's definitely not my style. I try to, I try to move in close to where they're bedded and cut them off earlier. I don't, I don't, uh, a lot of the places where I hunt, um, in multiple States, it's, it's open enough to, you're going to be able to, you know, maybe you can't see every single elk, or, you know, and maybe not, definitely not your bull, but you'll see kind of like little pieces through the, through the timber and, and be able to watch them and be like, okay, this is, this is a 200 or maybe 300 by 300 yard square. That's, that's kind of where they're at there. That's all I need. What's your, I guess, like, what's your take or advice or uh, curious, um, like moving through elk or moving with elk or through elk? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about that morning routine and it's like, if you can get with the herd, do you just yeah. stay back? Cause there's a lot of guys that will stay back. I'll let them go to bed. I'll figure out where they're at. Yeah. Um, yeah. or do you like, if you catch yourself behind elk, do you ever try to like move with the elk or is that just like, you know what? Um, I can't win this game. I've, I've, I've had both happen. Like I've, uh, I've, I've followed them and it's like, I don't know how they don't see me. Like, like they're just like, like, what, how am I getting away with this? I mean, it's open enough that they're moving, but if they're moving and, and I'm moving at the same time, I'm moving slow and they're, I'm not, you know, I have something behind me to cover my silhouette. It's like, I, I've gotten away with a lot of things that I, leave me scratching my head. Like, I don't understand how I pulled that off. <laughs> and then I've, I've been 500 yards away from the group and I stick my head out to glass from behind a PJ and four cows all stand up at the same time and they're staring directly at me. It's like, what? what? <laughs> like, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a true answer to that. I think you just gotta hope that, that the bulls are pestering him like crazy. Um, you know, if, if they're constantly getting bumped by him and they're, you know, they're scoop, he's coming up behind him and scooping him up and moving him around. I mean, I've had lots of cows pick me off and then they're just like, Oh, we got trouble. And the next thing you know, he just comes over and blindsides or T-bones her. And she forgets about me because he, you know, is basically sticking her in the side with, with his antlers. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that one either. Yeah, I feel that all the time. I've, you know, I've, I don't know, but I take that back. My first elk that I ever killed, uh, I, I, I shadowed the herd for like six miles before I, I finally <laughs> got a shot at one of the satellites. Oh yeah. I was so stupid. And, uh, it was so far, <laughs> so far, but um, I was so determined yeah, that I was going to kill a bull. And finally, one of the little ones was too, too dumb to see me in, but I, I stayed close to that herd and I bumped a bunch of them. You know, there was lots of elk that 
saw me and then would take off. But there was so many of them that they just run to the other side of the group. And so I think there is room to, to move with them. But man, you know, their, their walk is our jog. They're, they yeah. move pretty damn quick unless they're stopping to feed. Yeah. You know, like, uh, as you were talking about it, like the only success I've ever had with dogging is usually when there's a little bit of chaos, like there's another bull, yep. there's, you know, two bulls kind of getting at it or the, just one bull's going crazy, you know? And then it's like, all right, this is worth it. Like there's, there's cover in chaos when yep. there's not like, you just have a bull who's like, you know, the scenario where he's like, he's just following the herd and he's bugling and, and whatever. And it, like, everyone's kind of just, they're moving, which is, I would say the majority of the time, most of the time he's elk are just like, yeah, there's a bull and there's cows and he's, they're going to do their thing. Yeah. It's real hard. There's no chaos. Right. So you have to have the chaos to, for cover. And yeah. like, that's what it's like. Okay. In this scenario, I'll say just close enough that I can keep up. Once I get there, maybe I can make a move. And even that is super tough, but it's low, low probability. It feels like every time it's one of those situations where there's no chaos, it's just like, everyone's on high alert. You know, they're looking, they're paying attention. Like it just, it feels harder, much harder. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Having, having multiple bulls screaming and pushing cows and everybody's running around. That's, you know, that's the dream that we all, we all want, you know, and, yeah. and, and even if, even if the cows don't aren't paying attention to the bulls and they're just going after each other, I mean, I've had bulls that they you know, they come to the edge of the group and start raking a tree. And I mean, once they start doing something like that, I mean, and they are, the other elk aren't paying attention, they're around a the corner or whatever. You can basically run at those things and they just keep raking, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, I mean, when limbs are snapping, they, they, they don't hear anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. And like a lot of times their eyes are closed or they're just, they just can't see anything. So if they're going to going to town. It's a great yep. opportunity. Um, I was wondering if you get you had any good elk hunting stories you could add to the podcast. Did we, we you got any good good uh, good hunting stories? Um, well, I, the, I've alluded to quite a bit of it. The uh, the Colorado ones. I don't know. If I, that's a good one, just because it was so drawn out. But I actually chased that bull two years. Um, you got to give us the so long version now. Oh yeah. So so I found him in twenty twenty one, and yeah. I take that back. I killed him in 2022 or try to kill him in 2021. So I found him in 2020 and uh, got close a couple of times. Uh, couldn't pull it off. Got lots of video of him and went back the next year. I mean, I said, it's a second chance, you know, or second draw, uh, second choice tag in Colorado. I draw a lot and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I hunt there a lot. It's, 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 a, it's one of my favorite places. And, I mean, first night glassing, there he is. He's got, I think, 35, 40 cows. He, uh, he's gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit taller on top. Um, but but you can still tell by the design, you know, the shape of his main beams, and it's him. And uh, so, I mean, the that that year that I that I had found him, the first year, I played the game of okay, at daylight, I'm going to be in his in, in the timber with him. Uh, I mean, I just. I just started this whole, like, I'm going to give up my morning hunt in 2021 like that. And it's like a light bulb went off. And, but that, so in 2021, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know where he's at in there. I'm not going to play that game anymore. I bumped him so hard a couple of times and I never turned him up again. Got up on the other side of a mountain, several miles away, pinpointed where he was. First morning moved in. Um, there was, like, did you hunters. watch him bed? 
Well, no, but I knew like they all this. I could see a couple cows bedded, but like it was kind of sparsely timbered. And but I knew roughly where it was. And uh, there was muzzleloader hunters. They ended up bump, bumping them um, before I got there. And then you know, fast forward the next you know six seven days. You know, he was so aggressive towards other bulls. Like there was no satellite bulls that were within like he wouldn't let them get within several hundred yards. If he saw him, he's going after him. So I thought this is the perfect bowl to get close to the group and just let out a little challenge bugle. He's going to come storming over there. So first night, whatever, yeah, the muzzleloader guys bumped him. Uh, I think a second or third night, I got right in tight. And that was one of those nights where there's cows to my left. There's cows according ahead to my left. There's cows straight ahead. And some of them are like 30 yards. I mean, like this is, I'm thinking this is going to happen, but I, he's silent. I can't, he's not bugling. He's probably dead asleep. I don't know where he's at. And I waited as long as I could until one of the cows kind of got a little weird and stood up like smelling something or whatever. And I, I ripped off a, my version of a challenge bugle, uh, you know, probably sounds more like a honey badger or something. And uh, the whole the whole group just gets off and like storms down the hill and I'm just left in a pile of dust. It's like, well, that didn't work. You know, and I'm like and I think, and then I thought, well, maybe I just scared the, 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 you know, the cows and maybe he didn't even hear me. He's just following them, whatever. So the next, I think the next day I tried the same thing. I don't think I was quite as close and I was able to see him leaving and he kept looking back, but he was like, I'm not leaving these cows. Screw off. I'm just going to take them around. So that was the last time I made noise. And then after that, it was just, you know, four or five days in a row of getting close cow would pick me off or, or cow would win me. And the day that I, uh, the day I, uh, I, I killed him, I almost lost like, so I could see probably three miles in each direction along this long bank where he was living on. And he was, I mean, some mornings he'd be six miles from where he was the day before. And like, I would almost, I had almost given up. Like I had been up there for an hour and it's like, it's hard to, by that time he had 70 cows. So it was like, they're easy to find like it's it's not they weren't like you know it's not like picking out a coos deer and you know in tall grass down arizona or something like they kind of stick out and i was about ready to give up and i mean i just made like one final glass with my binoculars and way at the far 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 edge of where i can see where kind of the mountain rolls off and around uh like a like a raghorn comes around like hightailing it and here he comes out of the out of the out of the trees and just kind of watches him run across the meadow like yeah you go that way and he turns around and goes back in and that was I and mean, i was like got him i know where he's at he's only a mile and a half above the road so i, I hustled down that mountain drove all the way around part and i could hear him from my truck bugling and that was the other thing too he had a very very whiny like spike bugle like it was the he there was spikes that sounded more you know mature than him it was the highest pitch bugle i've ever heard on, on an elk and but it was it enabled me to like I, I know exactly where he's at and i moved up i actually got uh it was it was a satellite that was probably you know well i i mean i picked him up like 50 yards away from me and then i heard that whiny bugle beyond him uh so it's like okay i got the satellite here he's on the other side of him i'm sure the cows are with him but then i you know but that that satellite wasn't going anywhere near him he's like yeah yeah i'm, I'm staying over here and I let him finally walk off. By that time, I got no bugles. I'm in the timber. So now at this point, I don't know where he's at. But he's, I mean, I, I know he's here somewhere, uh, roughly. So I just, I, I, you know, by the time the thermals were coming up, I got up above him, kind of in the same direction where that little five by five went and just hunkered down. And I, you know, I took a nap. I had some food. I actually walked up a little ways. And then I came back down 
And I was just going to wait there as long as I had the thermals coming up in my face. And just so I could hear, hear, I just wanted to hear them again. And as soon as I did, I, I could move in. And I got, a, I got a little antsy. I didn't hear him, but I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move down a little bit. It's going to slide down a little bit. And I just kept doing that. And, you know, probably in hindsight, it might not have been the smartest thing, but it, it ended up working out. But uh, I picked off a cow laying down. I'm like, okay, there's a cow. And as you glass him, and then it's like all of a sudden, oh, there's another cow and there's another cow. And it's like, okay, this is them. And they were probably 70, 80 yards away. So I just hunkered down. I actually made a, uh, like I got on Instagram, I was screwing off and making, checking emails. I mean, it was probably two hours before daylight or dark. I mean, and uh, all of a sudden, and I don't know how he didn't smell me, but that little five by five crept up behind me and walked right by me. Um, I don't, I actually posted a, a video of him. Um, it's like, well, not live, but I mean, like I did it. And then, I mean, he just walked right by me, bedded down 30 yards from me, uh, and just facing those cows, just like slobber coming out of his mouth. Like he wanted to go down there so bad, but he knew, you know, I can't get any closer. I'll get ran off. And I remember thinking this could work out really good. If this guy, little guy just bugles it all, or if he just starts raking a tree, it's just, it's going to be on like that big bull is going to come unglued. I mean, every time I've seen him, any other bull come near his, his cows, he would just, forget everything and go after him, which is why I thought I could call him. Somebody could probably could call, probably could have called him. But um, finally the cows, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 4.30, 4 o'clock. The cows starting to get up and feed and they're, and they're moving to my left around. Like I'm kind of on a, there's a spine going down and they're kind of moving around the left and they only have to go about 30 yards before they're disappearing. And I mean, I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of other cows further to my right stand up and all of a sudden it's like, you know, there was way more close to me that it's one of those situations. If I'd have walked another five feet without spotting that first cow, all hell would have just blew yeah. up in my face. <laughs> I mean, 50 of them would have saw me instead of, you know, me getting lucky and that one didn't see me, but you know, and as those cows are getting up to feed that little five by five can't take it anymore. And he just runs down the hill. And I don't even remember if he made any sound. I don't think he did. I think he just, the sound of him charging in that big one just ripped his little, I should say ripped. He made that little squealy bugle that he made. It was, <laughs> you know, so, so ridiculous. Like if it was dark and you heard this thing bugle, you would have never, never went after him. You'd have been like, oh, there's a spike. And, uh, and, and but as soon as he, you know, pretty soon I could see antlers coming through the trees like 80, 90 yards away. And he just starts ripping a tree apart. By this time, I'm just waiting for the last of the cows uh, to get around that corner. And as the last one's butt was invisible and they were going down, I mean, I had a neuro, this, kids don't do this at home, but I had a neuro knocked and I ran down that hill, um, but while held off to my side. And this is deep, steep high country. This is, you know, I'm, I'm probably between 10 and 11,000 feet. And I don't even remember what happened to that five by five. I literally never, once he started raping that tree and he was literally broadside me, but I, I got to like, I think it was the, the range was 48. It said shoot for 42. And just, I mean, he was raking when I shot him and he just ripped his head up and just took off downhill. And just, I mean, he made it like 30 or 40 yards before he started tumbling. And that was it. So the big bull was raking? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was the one that he heard that little five by five come down and it just charged over and to the edge of the herd and started raking. And as soon as he did that, you know, he raked for probably five minutes while I waited for those last cows to filter through. Cause I didn't want them to blow it up. Right. But right, right. As soon as the, the last one's butt was going around that, that spine, I, I ran, I mean, 
yeah, big steps down the, when you know when you're running or make, moving quickly down a 30 degree slope you, you cover a lot of ground with your you see like carl <laughs> lewis high jump or uh, doing the long jump every every step but uh and he was in, a, and he was in plain view he just like ran right out oh yeah no yeah I, I i probably made it 10 yards and there was absolutely nothing between us and but he was you got to 42 out. yards 48 uh, range shoot for 42 yeah it's funny yeah, how I, I, can, t- I remember almost every animal's range of, of, of every animal i've ever killed I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how you remember that, the details. I always thought it was just because like numbers are easy to remember, but I tell people, tell people this all the time. Like if you like get a bull, like in that situation and he's raking, like he is dead to the world, just go. And I think people think I'm exaggerating when I say just run at him, you know, like it's not an exaggeration, like no need that could have, I mean, like if you would have tried to sneak, who knows, it's hard to speculate, but if you would have tried to sneak, I mean, chances are he's, he would have followed those cows. Like he would have just stopped raking mm-hmm. and followed the cows. Like, you know, you may, maybe you could have got there, maybe not. But like, uh, if you would have like crawled, sneak, it would have taken you another three oh. or four minutes. I don't know. You would have yep. made it. No, no, I don't think so. Um, who knows? Depends on, I guess, what the five by five did. Uh, I probably, when I took off running, he probably saw me and, and bolted off to the side. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna let it try to play out any different. I, I saw the opportunity <laughs> right. when, when when he's snapping, you know, inch and a half or inch limbs, you know, right next to his head. You know, he's he's not hearing anything. He was, yeah. You know, That's awesome. So. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, amazing. So you did film your hunt from last year. It's up on Rock yeah. Slide now. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Where we can find it? Where we can watch that one? Which mm-hmm. is a it's a different one, not the story we just heard. It's a different bull. No. Tell us about that one. No, no, I, I, uh, I filmed my first elk hunt last year. The, the ones in 21, I did not film, but, uh, yeah, it's on Rock Slide's YouTube channel. Um, I think it's called uh, high desert, uh, hide and seek. It's where I chase a big bull and, uh, get my teeth kicked in for 20 some days and <laughs> pull it off in the last day. Uh, mm. some amazing animals. Uh, I've self filmed it. So take it easy on me there. Uh, uh, but I did get the kill shot and it's, um, it's yeah it's a lot of ups and downs and you get to <laughs> see a lot of emotions out of me and uh we're gonna do it again this year i'm gonna i'm gonna film all my hunts this year and uh see what happens so no promises on which ones will actually turn out but they whatever whatever i do make will end up being on rock slides youtube channel nice well i'm stoked for it um i like watching watching good hunters chase elk. So like, yeah, I think there's always something to learn from that. Uh, not to mention like just the motivation factor of watching, you know, you chase big bulls right before September. So that's going to inspire a lot of people, but, uh, well, cool. Thanks Tony for jumping on, man. Uh, best of luck this year. Hopefully you kill a giant. I'm sure you will. You kind of, you're, you're pretty good at that. So, um, yeah. And hopefully you get it all on film so we can, we can share, but, um, but thanks for jumping on, man. I, I need time, Cody. I appreciate it. Thank you.